Kyle Fansler from World Soccer Talk, and this episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling. Using Sling, you can watch the conclusion to the Premier League and League 1, as well as the upcoming Women's World Cup this summer. Again, you can watch all of that on Sling. Today I have the privilege of talking to Semra Hunter, who, among her work with ITV, La Liga TV, and Sky, is one of the leaders in coverage of the Spanish top flight, and in particular, Real Madrid. So, Semra, I want to ask you about your background, because a lot of people that watch soccer in the United States, particularly La Liga, may not know who you are, but you are, as I mentioned, one of the best pundits and reporters on La Liga. So, just uh, give me a brief rundown of your background and how you got started in uh, covering the sport. Sure. Um, I actually hail from your side of the pond. I'm from the States. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. And given that I was a girl growing up in the States, soccer was my sport. It was my first love. And it still is very much uh, a dominant force in my life, even now today. And one of the reasons why I dedicate my life to it. I grew up playing the sport. I wanted to be professional. Uh, didn't happen. So I did the next best thing, which was to get into broadcasting and to talk about it instead. So after I got my degree, I went to Berkeley. I went to UC Berkeley. I got my degree in international relations, actually completely uh, unrelated to what I'm doing now. <laughs> I moved to Spain. And so it was while I was here for a while, I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And I ultimately decided that I wanted to get into sports broadcasting, but specializing in football. So I got my master's degree in sports communication and journalism in Madrid. Uh, I did my master's in Spanish. And then when I graduated, I immediately picked up work with Al Jazeera Sport, which then turned into Real Madrid TV. I was there for two and a half years working in English and Spanish as, as a reporter, a writer, producer, presenter, basically everything. And then I moved to Istanbul for two years, actually. And I worked there as well as a sports anchor and correspondent. So I was hosting a daily sports show in Istanbul. And then when I wasn't in the studio, I was out and about traveling the world, going to different sporting events, covering it and doing interviews or doing feature stories, whatever um, was called for at the time. But I was the in-house specialist when it came to European football, um, <clears throat> excuse me, amongst all the other sports that we were covering at the time. Then after two years, I moved back to Spain, uh, to Barcelona, where I'm based now. And I've been here for the past five and a bit years. And I've been working for La Liga TV uh, since I moved back and specializing in Spanish football and Champions League football and now getting into women's football as well and do event hosting and work in e-football and e-sports. So kind of have this nice wide array of different things that I'm that I'm doing. But my one true love really is is football, um, La Liga. And yeah, here we are. <laughs> well, Summer, I'm no linguist, but I do understand, or I should be able to recognize an American accent. And I don't want to yep. put it in the spot, but that's not exactly an American accent. So you say you're you're raised in the United States, and I know you went to uh, Cal Berkeley. What would you say your nationality is, having been in the United States for so long, but now living in in Spain for well, likely around a decade or more? So, what kind of what yeah. nationality would you say you are? Well, my passport will tell you that I'm American, so <laughs> don't really have much of a choice there. Uh, no, jokes aside, I mean, obviously, I feel as though I'm I'm a hybrid at this point because you're right. I've been over here for 15 years now, and the accent has really taken a life form of its own. And I think that has to do with the people that I'm surrounded by. So I'm around Brits most of the time, Spanish people, obviously. When I was in Istanbul, I worked with a lot of people from South Africa, from Australia. I'm not really around Americans anymore. So it has definitely 
changed. And I think you're right. Most people wouldn't peg me as being an American because they don't sound like that anymore. But it makes me wonder what I used to sound like because I don't really remember what my accent used to be like. <laughs> so it's it's quite strange, you know, because I hear myself every day. And it right. just sounds normal to me. But everyone tells me that, oh, you, you English, you Scottish. What, what is that <laughs> accent? But I would say because of that, of course, my upbringing, there are definitely elements of me that I recognize and identify with being American, with being L.A. born and bred. Um, but obviously, I've spent most of my adult life over here. So I consider self my, myself both. And now, actually, not too long ago, I got my Spanish citizenship as well. So dual citizenship. <laughs> Very good. Summer, I got to ask, do you ever have any desire to come back to the United States to cover soccer? Because we see people that kind of follow your your same path in a way. I mean, you look at Rebecca Lowe, who worked for mm. uh, BBC and ESPN UK, and now she works for NBC covering the Premier League. And you have Kay Murray, who, very similar to you, right. worked for Real Madrid TV and now works covering La Liga with ESPN. So do you ever have any desire or uh, inclination to return to the United States to cover soccer? Yeah, of course. I mean, it was one of my biggest dreams when I set out to do this in the first place was to share my love and passion for the game with people back home and help to grow the game back home, whether it was from Europe or by eventually going back to the States. And the people that you've mentioned, they're all English. So it would be nice to actually be the American who's been abroad, who's got stuck into the industry, who's got stuck into the football, who's had the experience, who has the knowledge, and to then bring it back home one day and to share everything that I've, that I've gained uh, throughout the years you know so absolutely I would be very much open to the possibility of one day going back home um, but for right now things are great where I am and we'll see what happens you talk about getting stuck in with the sport you spend a lot of time with with Real Madrid and covering that team in particular working with their mm. media department was that something where Real Madrid was always a team you supported or was it something where you were studying <laughs> over there the opportunity opened up and you figured well this is one of the biggest clubs in the world, I might as well take the opportunity. More the second than the first. The reason for that is that when I first landed in Spain, I came to Barcelona and I arrived in 2007. So I was right on the cusp of the end of one era and the beginning of another. And I think you probably know where I'm going with this. It was the last <laughs> season of Rijkaard. Messi was just coming into the fore. He was becoming a, a popular name at the time. There was a lot of buzz around town about this young Argentinian coming through the ranks. He was going to be the next superstar. Obviously, he more than delivered on that promise. <laughs> and Guardiola then came. So I lived through the sextuple. I lived through that golden era by actually being able to go to the camp now, to watch the games in person. And it was impossible not to be mesmerized and to not fall in love with that team. So I was a huge Barcelona supporter at the time. And my friends used to joke that I was crossing enemy lines and how could I do this? <laughs> and I'm going to be a spy. I'm going to go in right, the yeah. in Madrid. I'm going to find out what's going on on the inside and then report back to Barcelona. <laughs> but it was actually one of the first questions I was asked in my interview was, who do you support? Barcelona or Real Madrid? And I just said, do you want the truth or the lie? So... <laughs> In the end, I got the job. It was more of a joke than anything else. And I do absolutely have a soft spot for them because you get to know the players, you get to know the coaching staff, you get to know the people in the board, you get to know all the people that work in the various departments in the club and you establish relationships with them, friendships with them. So it's hard not to want to support them. And obviously when you're working for the club, you want them to do well. <laughs> but as you rightly say, they are probably the biggest club in history, at least the most successful whenever it comes to European football 
So it was an honor and a privilege to be able to go work for them. And I learned so much of my craft and learned so much about the football industry and about clubs as well. And who better than with one of the biggest and the best around. Mm -hmm. Well, Summer, I got to say it's a relief that you say you're, or at least were, a Barcelona fan because I am a Barcelona <laughs> fan too. And although it's been a struggle over recent years, it's a, a pleasure well, to finally talk to you. about it. <laughs> a, a struggle, yeah. But uh, you talk about how you have a soft spot for Real Madrid. And I want to ask about how any, if there's any challenges to putting aside any biases. Because when you look at Major League Soccer, for example, uh, we had this huge deal here that's uh, with Apple TV and these local broadcasters are becoming national broadcasters. Right. And I figured that's a challenge for them because if you're covering a team for so long, you're going to develop, like you say, a soft spot for that team. And then you're becoming a national broadcaster. You have the obligation to be unbiased and provide an, a balanced view of that club. So when you're covering or talking about Real Madrid or, or Barcelona, for that matter, mm. Do you ever find it challenging to put aside those biases or preferences and try to give as much of a balanced view as you can? Not at all. I'll be completely honest with you because I really take pride in neutrality and being unbiased. I know people, fans may not believe me, but I can promise you that's the truth because I think it's really, really important to always be honest and to be transparent. If us are playing well, then give them credit. If they're playing badly, then criticize them for it. The same with Real Madrid, the same with any other team. And I think people often forget that there's a lot more clubs than just Barcelona and Real Madrid, and people automatically assume that you must be a fan of one or the other. But by virtue of working for La Liga for the last five years, you really get to know all 20 clubs in the top flight. And you really get to start to like a lot of the players, a lot of the clubs for what they represent, for their history, for their traditions, for really interesting storylines. And so I would say that the fandom that I had for Barcelona has definitely been diluted over time. And when you work in the industry, I think it also just kind of wears away a bit of that fan feeling because it it changes, it molds. You have to be professional in the way that you kind of go about your business. I mean, it's true that here in Europe, without a question, in Spain, you definitely have people working in the media who are very open about their bias. But that's actually seen as something positive in Spain. And even in England, a lot of the times you will have presenters or reporters or pundits or whatever who are associated with a specific club. It's only natural because if you grow up in a country where football is like a religion, you're going to be a fan your whole entire right. life. And yeah. so it can be very difficult for that not to creep into the work that you do. But I think for me, coming from the States, not having grown up in Spain, picking up a team when I got here, it's a little bit easier for me to, to handle that. And so, like I say, I always give teams credit when credit is due. And if we have to criticize a team, then you do it. So I always set aside and make sure that I set aside any kind of feelings and like I said, I've really grown to like and respect a lot of the other clubs for so many different reasons that it makes it a lot easier as well to not just kind of focus on one team more than anybody else and give them any kind of special treatment. So what is it about La Liga? Because if you look at other fans of other leagues, each team or each, uh, excuse me, fan base would say, you know, well, the Bundesliga has this that makes them special. Premier League has this that makes them special. The hmm. Serie A is special in this way. In your eyes, someone that's been involved with La Liga so much, what is it about La Liga that stands out to you? And what might be something that fans in the United States or Canada or Mexico can look at La Liga and say, hey, maybe that's a good reason to start following the sport and or I'm sorry, follow the league and the teams more closely? 
I would say there's several things. I mean, there's a lot of things, but I'll just pick out several for the sake of time. One is that it attracts a lot of the biggest names in the world. So for a long time, we had Lionel Messi, we had Cristiano Ronaldo, we had the great rivalry between the two of them on the pitch. We had the, the great rivalry of Mourinho versus Pep Guardiola. We produce some of the very best players in world football, whether it's South Americans coming over here to develop their game in Spain, and then eventually maybe they go to the Premier League or they go somewhere else. But we also produce a lot of the best talent in managers. Now you'll see at the Premier League, I've, I've lost count, but I think there might be five or six managers that are from mm -hmm. Spain. You've got Guardiola, you've got Unai Emery, you've got Lopetegui uh, at one point. Uh, well, obviously you had Rafa Benitez at one point. I mean, there's been plenty who have gone over there and more will eventually go. So I would say it's also a very tactically rich league and they really love their tactics in Spain. They were obsessed with it. And I think that lends itself to seeing a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different clashes of styles. You can have ultra defensive to ultra attacking, something in between, more direct, uh, more passing and possession based football. So you can have a lot of different types of ways in which the game is played. And it's really fascinating to see how they go up against one another. Also, a lot of the times, just because teams are at the top of the table doesn't mean that they're automatically going to lose against teams that are at the bottom. A lot of the times you see strugglers at the bottom end actually beating teams at the top end of the table. It's an incredibly competitive league. This season has been really, really tight and really competitive all across the board. And so I think in that sense, it keeps things very interesting. And also I would say that each club really represents very well where they come from, the city where they come from or the region. Spain as a country is so interesting because it's tiny, but there's so much diversity in the languages, in the history, in the tradition, in the gastronomy, in the culture, in the everything. I mean, you go down the road two hours from here and they speak another language. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so they really use that to... I guess, incorporate into their own identity as a club as well. So it's not just club clashes, it's also regional clashes. And it's a nice kind of way to get a feel for what each place is really like. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It's just, it has so much richness just kind of all around in so many different ways. Yeah, I find those cultural differences in Spain are something that makes it stand out amongst other mm -hmm. leagues. And obviously, like I mentioned, those other countries can say, well, you know, different areas had different, you know, religions, different kind of cultures. Right. That's really more applicable applicable in Spain because you have Catalonia, you have the Basque region. And these clubs, like you say, embody those regions more so than any other league. But could that also maybe be a, a hindrance? Because we see the clashes between Barcelona and Real Madrid on the field, which are great to watch as a fan. But then off the field, it's kind of an ugly scene because you see Barcelona's, you know, trying to speak for the Catalan region, this uh, idea of independence. So could that actually be a hindrance to people that are trying to see a league rally together and kind of uh, put out a better product uh, wholeheartedly? Uh, one of the things that really drives me crazy about Spain in general as a country is that I feel as though they often shoot themselves in the foot. And what I mean by that is that rather than embracing this cultural richness and the vast diversity that there is, they do sometimes use this as a vehicle to separate. And while people will say you shouldn't mix politics with sport, unfortunately, when it comes specifically to the case that you mentioned between Madrid and Barcelona, 
politics is almost always involved. Mm-hmm. And things can get very ugly off the pitch as well. They can escalate in a very big way. I'll give you a perfect example of it. Barcelona are in a huge, huge boat of trouble for a lot of different reasons. But most recently, they were, I guess you could say, accused of bribing referees, paying off referees for a long period of time. It's a very complex case, but basically Laporta came out and said, this is a campaign against Barcelona. They're unhappy with us because we didn't accept the CVC money. La Liga is not happy with us because we didn't accept the deal. This is punishment for the Super League that we tried to create, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he Mm -hmm. went one step further and basically said that Real Madrid were the team of the regime, which is to say the dictatorship that was here for 40 years, Franco. And so all of a sudden, things really spiraled out of control. Real Madrid obviously reacted. They put out footage, archive footage of Franco at the Camp Nou and Barcelona supposedly pledging allegiance. Obviously, it's a manipulation of the past because if you're in a dictatorship, you don't really have a choice, right? exactly. So politicians started getting involved, both in Catalonia as well as in Madrid. And it just really blew up and blew out of proportion. And so these kinds of things happen a lot. There's a lot of tension because of the political differences and they stem so deep, they're so rooted in historical strife and disagreements and everything that go back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years that it definitely can spill over into the football side of things and absolutely can get in the way rather than being a bridge to unite. And unfortunately, I think it's just going to carry on being that way for a very long time. Right. So we're going from uh, that relatively dark topic to one more <laughs> positive. Uh, I want to ask you about La Liga's season right now, because like you say, everyone kind of focuses on Barcelona and Real Madrid and Barcelona more likely than not is going to win La Liga and Real Madrid. As we saw this past week, they are in the running for yet another Champions League. But outside of those two clubs, I want to ask you what your favorite storyline is this season in La Liga. Could it be maybe uh, Sevilla's struggles trying to get, you know, they were in the relegation zone not long ago and they kind of had a, a better second half of the season. Could it be one of those clubs trying to get into the Champions League for next season? What, what's been your focus in La Liga uh, this year? Sevilla was probably the first one that came to mind because of the incredible contrast of form that we've seen from them all season. And they've been a really interesting story to follow. Because you could see the writing on the wall. It really goes back to last season when the wheels started to come off. You got this feeling that things were great with Lopetegui for the first few years. They achieved a huge amount of success that they never enjoyed before, reaching the Champions League three years in a row. That had never happened in club history. And so you got the feeling that he was kind of not overstaying his welcome, but the, the it really should have been brought to a conclusion sooner. Things were starting to go wrong inside the club as well because of financial issues because of disagreements as to how they wanted to look after the squad who they wanted to bring in who they wanted to get rid of we have to remember that Sevilla very much a buying and selling club Mm -hmm. so it's very hard to maintain a high level of of competition to continue to be successful in the Champions League if you're constantly having a high turnover of players so Monchi Lopetegui basically kind of had falling out but yet they kind of agreed to push through the summer in for him to stick around and it was the worst decision possible for everybody involved they started out very badly but the ended up getting sacked 
as you rightly say, they were struggling really at the bottom for quite a long time. They brought in Sam Pauli, who came back to the club. He was very successful the first time around. This time was a complete disaster. The players didn't understand him. Mm -hmm. They had no idea what he wanted to do. They were playing terribly. On top of that, they lost both of their centre defenders, which were the bedrock of their success defensively last season. So they were shipping in so many goals. And so they had problems all over the place. Then they bring in Mendilibar not too long ago, and the effect has been outstanding. Mm -hmm. First of all, they're like the Real Madrid of the Europa League. They believe it is <laughs> their competition. Every time they make it to the final, they win. Right. And they've won more than anybody else. So <laughs> they become a completely different monster whenever they play in continental competition, even if things are going terribly wrong mm -hmm. domestically. Mendilibar has come in. They've done an unbelievable job in turning things around. I think they're 11th now in the table, five points off of the European places. They could win the Europa League and get into the Champions League next season. We've been spending most of the time kind of joking about how they may end up getting relegated playing in mm -hmm. second division, but right. playing in the Champions League, you know? Yeah. So he's done a fantastic job. They finally found the right man who's calmed the waters, who's made things simple and easy to understand. They're starting to play much better now. They're getting those results. And it would be fascinating to see how they actually finish the season in La Liga, as well as, as we said, maybe even going all the way in the Europa League again. <laughs> you wouldn't put it past them to win the win the Europa no. League again. Uh, Summer, I'll wrap up with this. Um, I want to ask you about your career aspirations, and I want to harken back to uh, some of those names I said earlier that you know went from Europe to now working in the United States. But you personally and your idea of where you see your career going, what kind of work do you want to be doing in the future? Any any dream job, you know, quote unquote, that you might want? What does your, uh, your career path look like in your ideal world? Well, I definitely ticked off probably the biggest thing on my bucket list, which was the World Cup. Um, I was able to cover the World Cup in, I didn't go to Qatar in the end, um, but I worked for a broadcaster in India. And instead of doing everything on the ground, they decided to build this super mega studio in Mumbai and they brought all of us out there instead and quite honestly it was an amazing experience I got to work with some of the biggest names in football uh, Wayne Rooney was with us Luis Figo was there Saul Campbell was there Robert Pires uh, Gilberto Silva Igor Stimats so we had a stellar cast of pundits that were with me on a daily basis in the studio and it doesn't get much better than that you know Right. Um, but now my target would be to cover the World Cup at home. 2026, USA, Canada, Mexico, go back, be on the ground for that. It will feel as though things have come full circle for me. And you never know. I mean, maybe that would be a good time for me as well to find something a bit more prominent back home in the States. But I'm fairly open to seeing where things go. I also think having a crack at life in London, I fly to London a lot. I work there a lot. <laughs> I go back and forth. but. To actually maybe be established there and really get the full English football experience, um, having grown up watching the Premier League, I think that would be really cool as well, not just from a personal point of view, but also from a professional point of view too. Right. Well, Samra, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. I wish you the best of luck in all those endeavors uh, in, the, in the late future and uh, this season in La League and the Champions League. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.